Would you, would you pray with us this morning? God, we're gonna see in your word today how that statement is made to be true. It's not based on our emotion. It's not based on skipping over the facts that life is difficult and hard. It, it stands solely on who we are in Jesus Christ and what he has done before us. It's not on our strength that we declare that you're good. It's not on our emotion that we declare you're good. It's based on what Jesus Christ has gone and done for us that we declare you are good. That gives us reason. That gives us the ability, the confidence to sing that song. God, I know for many in this room, um, for some in the first, that's a difficult phrase to sing this week. It's not just in things in our world, but things personally, it's hard. And so help us to see that confidence in the eternal things give us confidence for our daily living today. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. You guys, thank you for being here, worshiping with us. We got a lot of ground to cover and uh, a little bit of time to do that in. So if you uh, have your ESV, your journal, your Philippians journal, if you're new with us, uh, we've been handing these out. They're out in the lobby on a table. Um, It just says um, Philippians. We didn't make these. These are made um, by a company that makes ESV Bibles as a whole, and they publish individual books of the Bible with journal pages so that you can write notes in them, keep up with them. So we've just made those available to you out in the lobby. I'm going to give you a two-sentence, two-week summary. I know that sounds impossible, but that's all we got time to do today. We have seen in week one, we, we have seen that God is not finished with us. Now that's not an amen statement for your spouse or your friend. That's an examination of us. We are, God is not finished with us. And that's a promise. Then last week we looked at that we have, we have given, been given the opportunity to pray powerful prayers over others, that we, our love would abound more and more through knowledge and wisdom so that they would be able to know the things that are excellent, things that are pure, things that are blameless, and they would produce the righteousness of God. So those are our first two weeks. If you wanna go back and listen or watch those, a uh, little bit of a transition this last week and this week, it's a listen only. Um, weeks before that was on video. We'll get back to some video in the, in the weeks to come. But um, Paul is writing this book to the church of Philippi. It's a church that had encouraged him and a church that he had encouraged and been a part of their infancy and of their birth and how they came about. Um, but in, in exploring Philippians, there's a certain verse that you get to that a lot of people have heard, maybe not in context of Philippians chapter one, or that doesn't even say Philippians, but um, it's this verse, Philippians one, verse 21. And I I just wanna get it out there. We're gonna come back to it and land on it for a little while. But it's this verse, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Philippians one, 21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, when we say that and we announce that even in our American uh, world that we're in and the culture that we live in, I want to give you, maybe hopefully give you a proper perspective. And here it is. Back in the 80s, when I was a kid, okay, do the math, whatever. I was a kid in the 80s and you could say to a friend that you didn't know very well or it was new to your group, you could say, you know, what are you doing doing this weekend? Well, I'm going to church. I'm a Christian. And that was by most people, an accepted statement. 
because we lived in a culture that that was uh, permissive, that was not just allowed, but it was what a lot of people claimed, a lot of people presented. That has shifted in the past 40 years. We live in a culture where that statement alone has some people going, what what do you mean by that? Uh, How are we going to unpack that? And and I'm not sure that I I like that. And does that mean you go to church? And what kind of church? And there's all these questions that go along with it. For some people, that's a difficult statement. But let me take you back 1,900 plus years backwards to this moment. If you declared yourself for me to live as Christ, to die as gain, it meant that that was the definition of your entire life. Let me put it this way. You were not in this time period, if you declared yourself to be a Christian, which that word came to us in Acts chapter 11, verse 26, it says in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. It literally means little Christ. It's being first being used. So this is a a new thing. It's It's a movement that's happening. It's radical teaching, following this Jesus, this resurrected savior. It's causing all kinds of ripples and all types of religious movements. And so if you claim to be a Christian in 60 AD, you were not a student, a soccer mom, a teacher, a nurse, then a Christian. No. You were, if you defined yourself as a Christian, your culture, your neighborhood, your community defines you as that first. And for some of people, that was a good thing. For others, that was not. You could not move away from this. It was your identity. I am a Christian. I am a Christ follower. I am a little Christ. I am imitating Christ. And so when Paul makes these statements, you need to understand the weight that comes behind it. There's a designation that he's making when he's writing back and forth. He knows that the people that are going to read this letter are going to endure hardship for claiming what? To be Christians. And that alone, for claiming to follow Jesus Christ, he knows that they're going to need encouragement. He knows they're going to need support. And so he's writing encouragement. He's going to give them some direction, but he's given, he's received direction and instruction from them. And so we get to verse 18 in chapter one, we're going to race through several verses today. Verse 18 says, what then? Paul is so confident that he's going to preach Jesus, teach Jesus, live Jesus. If it's in prison, great. If it's in Rome, great. He's going, to, he's going to preach Jesus. What then, verse 18, only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. What does he rejoice in? That Jesus is being preached. And you go back and those, read those last few verses. There's some, there's some difficult things there. Some people that are preaching the message of Jesus Christ, but they're doing it for their own greed and for their own reasons. And Paul says, hey, I, I just want gospel. I just want Jesus preached. I'll take it, right? And whether in pretense or in truth, I want the name of Jesus to be preached. He's got one focus. Yet he keeps saying this phrase that if, if you gotta be honest, it's gonna eat away at you a little bit. He keeps saying things like this. And in that I rejoice. And then 18, he continues, yes, and I will rejoice. Paul the Christian in jail saying, I will rejoice. Then he goes on, for I know, listen to his encouragement, for I know that through your prayers and through the help of the spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. That is not him saying, I'm gonna get a get out of jail free card, okay? Much bigger deliverance than that. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, 
but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart. He wants to go to eternity. He wants to die, leave his place, go to heaven and, to, and, and be with Christ for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is far more necessary on your account. Remember, he's writing to people he loves. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample calls to give glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. He states over and over, I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to take joy. Remember Jesus, others, yourself. I am going to rejoice. And that just hit me in the middle of this week as I was thinking through and I was looking through this passage and thinking about, I don't know if you have any areas of your life that you may not say that you rejoice in. Maybe you've got a couple. Paul is saying, I rejoice. I don't think Paul is making light of difficulties. I don't think he's saying, oh, it's just an easy life to be here in prison. No, not at all. But he's saying, in spite of, in light of, I will rejoice. Now, how is Paul doing this? Paul is communicating with great fervor, with great authority about something he can't physically see. He is so tied to the promise of eternity that it is impacting every thought, every decision, every direction that he's making. It's as if he is reaching for something that nobody else in the room can see. Now, I borrowed something from, a, from one of you. Um, this is a VR, virtual reality uh, device. You put this on your head and things get crazy, okay? Uh, as someone who has vertigo, this is not a recommended apparatus, okay? Um, and here's what happens though. You put this on and you turn it on and you choose which environment, which game you wanna play. One minute you could be riding a roller coaster. One minute you could be fighting for your life. The next minute you could be taking adventure out West. You could, all these different things. You put on these lenses and for a moment, you and you alone in the room are there. Now what's funny is not the person with the lenses, but the people outside, right? You watch people and you go, they look like an idiot. She's waving her hands and she's singing and she's doing all these kind of crazy movements and nobody else in the world can see what they see. If we could for just the next few minutes, imagine that Paul has a set of these glasses on, spiritually speaking, and all that Paul can see, nobody else can grasp. Not that it's too lofty, but because Paul is so, so, so sold out to the gospel that all he sees is the impact of the gospel on earth and going to heaven. That's all he sees. So when Paul puts on the lenses, he's in prison and he doesn't see prison guards in control. He knows the Lord is in control. He doesn't think that they have the keys to let him out and set him free. He knows that Christ has set him free. So when he puts on these lenses, everything that he sees, every decision that he makes, everybody else is looking at him going, wow. Right? I, I read verse 21 and I get to verse 21 and I go, ah, that's such a lofty phrase. It, it's so big. It, it's so, 
not complicated, but it's so simple, but it's so profound for me to live. He's reaching for something that nobody else can see. Here's what's happened. He has exchanged the promises of this world for the promises of heaven in his living, not in his dying. He's already made the exchange. This world has nothing for me, but while I'm here, I'm gonna encourage you. If the Lord keeps me, I think it'll be best for you for now. I'm gonna hang out with you. I'm gonna encourage you. I'm gonna preach the gospel. He's growing more confident in his going home than he is staying on foreign soil. I'm not comfortable here anymore. This isn't my home. I'll stay if the Lord keeps me. Because to stay means to live as Christ. But to die is really my gain. He looks at the jailer and goes, you, you, don't, you don't hold the keys. You don't have anything over me. He's reaching for something. He says, yes, and I'll rejoice for I know that through your prayers, the church praying for him and the help of the spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed. Be praying for me that I'm not ashamed, but with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life, or by death. If you consider the surroundings around him at the time, again, deliverance to you and me would go, well, great, Paul, deliverance means you get out of jail. That's not what he's talking about. This is a monopoly. This isn't a get out of free, get out of jail free card from the community chest, right? Some of you monopoly players. No, this is far bigger. He's going, I, I'm not looking through the same set of lenses. And when we are confident in the eternal promises of God, then what happens? We grow more confident in our advancing the gospel in this life. And that's not simply for Paul. That's for every single one of us, no matter your age. The more confident we grow in the promises of eternity, the more confident we come and empowered in this daily living. Now, this week is, is an interesting, uh, full of emotion week to preach um, because you know that we are sitting here with all of our conveniences and our, our warm room with a, a roof over our heads and worship leaders and, and all these environments taking place. And, and, it, and it's really hard at some moments to go. There are people, believers, non-believers in another part of our world that at this point in their day have no idea what's gonna happen in the next few minutes. And I hope it makes this more serious I hope it makes this more treasured that we get to do this. Uh, I've seen a lot of things float around, um, people sending me different things, but there, there's one video of, of a Ukrainian family worshiping. And I, I just wanna share this with you because they, they're putting their hope in eternity and it's empowering their daily living. I just want you to see this and may it shift our minds a little bit away from our culture and, and to somewhere else. If I can, I wanna teach you that song. In English, how's that? I don't know Ukrainian, but I know the song. Here's what the lyrics say. They say, when I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. That's not a word we use very often, the word fast to hold something, but it means quick and with great confidence. Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, Christ will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path. Very easy to read standing here, but not there. For my love is often cold. He will hold me fast. And here's how the chorus goes. He will hold me fast. 
He will hold me fast, for my Savior loves me so. He will hold me fast. Sing it with me. It's not many words. You can get it. He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. For my Savior loves me so. He will hold me fast. Now close your eyes and imagine you're sitting around that table with these believers. He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. For my Savior loves me so. He will hold me fast. God, I pray for people that right now in Ukraine and countries that surround them that are in the middle of a war. God, I, I cling to the promises of your word that tells us that you are over rulers and dominions. And I do not begin to understand your ways and what's taking place in this world. I pray for not only that group of believers, but believers there that will have tremendous opportunity to, to love people who literally are trying to survive. God, they, they're only able to say to live as Christ, to die as gain, because they, they're having to transfer their faith in this world, in their country, in their people, in their surroundings for the promises of eternity. It's not a proposed teaching. It is life, and it's real. So may we be committed to loving, to praying that you would hold them fast and that we would continue to pray for them. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, if you think that was the end of the sermon, you are wrong. We have a long way to go, okay? Um, but I do want to just pause here and say this. Um, at our tables on the way out, I think there's some of these still left. I think I can see some of them. Um, it just says, Send Relief. It's a Ukrainian prayer guide that's put out by uh, the International Mission Board, of which we are a part of. Uh, we posted this on social medias yesterday, so you can, look, um, you can look that up and download that. And then at the bottom, it gives you a way. If you want to donate, um, you can do that. You can figure out ways that you can do that. Um, and it's through an organization that you can trust and be a part of. Um, and, and so they are only able to sing that song because what? Because their hope is in eternity and their hope in eternity is empowering their daily living in a very real way. It's, it's the same hope that gave Paul the ability to say, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Paul would say, for I'm sure that neither life, death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The only reason, the only way you can say that is if you've transferred, you've put on this reality that's not on this earth that is heavenly. He would also say in Corinthians, do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. 
As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient. They are fleeting. They're brief. They're going away. But the things that are unseen, they're eternal. How does Paul have this confidence? How do we take this and say, God, would you allow us? Would you just give us a part of that that confidence? And it's only possible because his confidence in eternity delivers constant confidence in his daily living. That's the only way it's possible. He's not confident in his own abilities or if the jailer's gonna come let him out. He's confident in his eternal hope. Therefore, it's delivering confidence, not arrogance, but confidence in his daily living. Are you confident in the eternal promises of God? Begins to shift things greatly. Are we confident in the promises of God? For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, before somebody in the room goes, whoo, man, that's awesome, and you run out and you get a tattoo of this, um, it's possible, right? Uh, Possible. But before you do that, let's walk through, uh, let's do something this morning. Let's talk about what we tend to live for, and I'll give you some, not all, but some things we live for, but what happens when those things fail? We've got, to, we've got to look at both of these. That's what Paul's doing. He's taking this discussion about our purpose in living and dying to a much greater level. For me, living is, we can go through this list. For me, living is money. For me, living is soccer. For me, living is, this is not my list. Didn't play soccer, right? Me, living is my kids playing certain sports. For me, living is academics. For me, living is power. For me, living is pleasure and name your pleasure. For me, living is beauty. What we invest in, what we spend time with, what we commit ourselves to, for me, living is, but now let's, let's put the other side to those, okay? Because they have a dying side too. For me, living is money. Dying is being broke. For me, living is soccer. Dying is when I have a career-ending injury. For me, living is my kids playing certain sports. Dying is when they wake up and want to quit living your dream. Parents. First service really thought that was funny. I don't know. I think it's because there's a lot of grandparents in the room that have lived through that. And they're like, I know exactly what you're talking about, all right? For me, living is academics. Dying is when you have every degree but no direction in life. For me, living is my retirement plan. Here's a real one. Dying is when inflation and war begin to eat away at your investments. For me, living is power. Dying is losing control. For me, living is pleasure. Dying is the uh, inability to feed the pleasure the same way that we've been able to feed it before. For me, living is beauty. Dying is losing it. See, if you value, if you're honest, if you take a true assessment today and say, man, living is this, living is this person, living is this career, living is this path, then on the opposite side of that, be honest. When it disappears, where is your living? Where is your dying? And Paul says, for me to live is Christ, dying is gain. For me, living is having the opportunity to make Jesus' first priority in my home. Dying is so that that message is passed on for generations to come. For me, living is serving. For me, living, serving, pouring Jesus into others. 
trying to faithfully preach God's word. Why? So that people can grow in the fullness of Christ. For me, maybe for you, living is walking with those who are hurting and pouring the promises of God into their broken hearts and bringing healing. Here's a real one for me yesterday. For me, living is walking into a grocery store and seeing everything that I need, a lot of things that I want, and a lot of things I didn't know that I wanted before I walked in the store. Dying is knowing that there are pastors in Ukraine that would do anything for basic survival necessities. You see, this is real. This is not a cliche phrase for us to just toss around for me to live as Christ to die is gain. For me, living as Christ to die is gain. For years, uh, our kids, when they were young, we read the books. They're down in the library here. We read Heroes of the Faith, Adoniram Judson, Hudson Taylor, William Carey. We read all these stories about these missionaries and, and incredible witnesses who lived for Christ, who died was their gain. But church, let's be very honest. We cannot lean on dead missionaries to change the future of our broken world. We can't go, isn't that story neat? Well, aren't they amazing? Paul didn't stop with them and say, for you to live as Christ to die is gain. But in 2022, we don't mean that anymore. No, if we wanna see our culture, if we wanna pray for people who are broken in the Ukraine, if we wanna see uh, things shift and change in our worlds and our community, we can't say, well, let's read this book from hundreds of years ago and hope they can influence the future. No, it's on us. Families, it's on you, it's on dads, it's on moms, it's on single moms, single dads, it's on us. It's on us as the church to lean in and say, for you to live as Christ, to die as gain. Yes, we want you to have a great education. Yes, we want you to experience life. Yes, we want you to go through all those things. Yes, we wanna grow as a church and see people to come to Christ. But we've gotta be people who are willing to say, you know what, for me to live as Christ, I'm gonna change my reality and go, you know what? This may not feel good to my family. My family may start to ask, well, why are you calendaring different? Why are you spending different? Why aren't you going here? Why aren't you doing this? Why? For me to live as Christ, to die as gain. That's all I can tell you. I'm not trying to be lofty. I'm not trying to be better than. I'm just telling you, I'm trading the lenses for this broken world that is not my eternal home. And I'm saying, God, would you help me to rejoice? Living for Christ, dying and gaining eternity. You see, this is a complete game changer, this phrase. It is the heart of this book. It is the heart of Paul's teaching. It is what we desperately need, reminders that I need reminders of. For me to live as Christ, to die as gain. I want you to see there in that verse, there's the purpose and there's the promise. For me, living as Christ gives purpose. What's my purpose for me living as Christ? Paul, I'm gonna go back if I have to. I'm gonna go back if I need to. I'm gonna go back. I'm gonna encourage you. I'm gonna share Jesus with you. If it's with the prison guards, fine. It's with Rome, fine. Wherever I am, I'm gonna preach Jesus. That gives me my purpose. But for me to die as gain, that gives me the promise. Purpose and promise. Purpose and promise. For me to live as gain, 
For me to live is Christ's purpose. For me to die is gain. Promise. So how do we know if we're living for Christ? A few things that Paul lives out for us that I just want to look at real quickly. People who are living for Christ have a passion for people. You cannot not see that in the letter to the Philippians. You cannot see that, like skip around that in 1 Timothy or 2 Peter or John 3, 16. Philippians 1, verse 3, verse 4, verse 7, verse 9, 1 Timothy. All these verses, Jesus modeled it. Paul followed the pattern of Jesus, his disciples. To live as Christ gives us a passion for people that will be displayed in your life. Now, we love on people completely different, right? Um, I've never met a stranger. Uh, I don't have a bubble, okay? Um, some of you know what I'm talking about. You've got this bubble that you live, and you're like, whoa, you're in my bubble. I don't have a bubble, all right? And that's fine. That's how God has made me to love on people. He's made you completely different to love on the people who don't want to be in my bubble, right? But how do we know if we're passionate about living as Christ, dying as gain? We have a passion for people. We have a passion for people that we know. We have a passion for people that we don't know. That pastor in that video, I just want to call him the Apostle Paul. Like he's smiling, right? For he, he will rejoice. Is there a brokenness? Is there a heaviness? Is there a hurting? Are you moved by the spiritual bankruptcy of people around you? Am I moved by the bankruptcy of spiritual growth and people around me to have a passion for people? People who are living for Christ have a passion for people. They have a passion for serving other people. Paul says, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. This guy's in prison. He's saying, if I hang around, I'm gonna serve you for the cause of Christ. Here's what this shows me. You are necessary in the body of Christ. Every single one of you. This week we had a staff retreat and it was great to, to, to talk and to listen and to hear um, how some people are impacting two-year-olds and three-year-olds and teenagers and adults and to just hear how people who are using their giftedness are saying, hey, I wanna serve others not so that I can gain, so that they can gain Christ. He says, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to give glory to Christ because of my coming to you again. Paul's willing to stay if he's gonna pour joy and spiritual growth into them. He wants to fill them up, right? He wants to fill their tanks spiritually. If I'm gonna stay, I'm gonna stay and pour into you. I'm not gonna leave you where I found you. I am gonna pour, pour, pour more into you. Now, quick poll, um, not a serious poll, right? It is serious, but it's not serious. But how many of you are people that are a little nervous about your gas tank in your car and when it gets anywhere close to half a tank, you suddenly start looking for a place to pull over and get gas? Anybody? Don't just point at your husband over there. Okay, I saw that, all right. Anybody? All right, you get a little bit nervous. How many of you about a quarter tank? You start going, how many of you? Okay, right about then. Wow, the rest of you, are red lighters, yellow lighters, right? Like an amen to that. You wait until it's at the bottom and you're like, oh, I got 27 more miles. That's what it tells me at least. 
right? I'll just keep on going. I'll just keep on trucking along. But you know what? When you're going to the beach and you got the kids in the car, you're packed and you're, you're heading south and you're driving, everybody's singing, having a great time and the gas tank's full and you're just driving, you're just going right along. You pass 500 gas stations and you never think about it. The signs don't catch your attention. The big signs with the prices probably catch your attention, but normally they wouldn't catch your attention and you're just heading on to the beach. You get about to a half a tank and you start looking and plotting. You're thinking in your head, you know, maybe down that road we should think about getting gas. And then you get to about a quarter of a tank and inevitably, you know what happens, inevitably you get to a quarter of a tank or lower and traffic stops. You know what you remember? Every sign for the last five miles. I remember that gas station. If I could just back up, right? I can't back up. I can't move. I can't go forward. I can't go backward. But I know there's a place back there that can fill this up. Here's what Paul is saying. If I'm gonna stay If we're gonna be here and God's gonna leave us here to impact the future generations and to impact our culture for Jesus Christ, then guess what? While I'm here, let me fill you up with joy and truth. Let me prayerfully, that's the other thing he's gonna do. He's gonna have a passion for praying for others and he's gonna keep filling people up. God, may your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment and truth. May that love may abound, fill them up, fill them up, God. I don't want them going to the empty part. I don't want them getting to that place. I wanna keep filling up. And he's saying, church, I want you to pray the same thing for me. You pray that as I, I remain faithful, that I don't give up, that I keep this perspective. If we have a passion If we are people who desire to live for Christ, then we'll be people who are pray for others and serve others and say, let me pour into you. Let me fill you up. You fill me up. I'll pray for you. You pray for me. Paul is going to constantly remind us to pray for people just in this chapter. There's four references alone to them praying for him and him praying for them. And back and forth it goes. Do we desire to be people who are praying and filling up and praying for the brokenness of those without Christ? Are we praying for the tragic moments of the world, not just going, ooh. Paul was living for Christ, but knowing dying was gain. He was a person who had a passion for the spiritual condition of the people. He was a person who had a heart to serve the people. He was a person who had the heart to pray and be prayed for by the people. And this is for us. Now, normally I give you a bunch of questions and you roll your eyes at me sometimes. I've seen you, okay, it's okay. One statement, and it's from scripture, so you can't really do it for me, all right? I just, I just want you this week to fill in the blank. For to me, to live is what is it you're living for and to die is what happens when it's gone. You can dance around that all you want, but that, that's a profound statement from Paul. Not just for the church of Philippi, but for the other churches, for the other letters that he's gonna write. For you to live is Christ. To die is gain. It's a shifting of eternity to the promises of God. Let's pray together.